Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We've been doing these hidden treasures and walking along the beach, picking up Proverbs. And um, I was really dutifully doing that. And we were still picking up Proverbs, but... God really landed me on a subject, which I wasn't going to go subject for a while. I mean, I didn't think that that was what we're going to do, but he's really landed me on a subject. So this is definitely still discovering hidden treasures, but it's also discovering hidden pride, (laughs) you know, and, um, I, the, what had come out of this was that I was going through Proverbs and, and pride was coming up so much, um, but it wasn't so much that because we've been going forward as 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 we pick up these proverbs off the beach or the shells or the beautiful things and examining them closely and looking at them more closely and looking at the details and letting God apply them to our lives. And um, so this is going to be the first time that your proverbs are going to be a little bit out of order, and that. Um, God re- reordered it this morning, and and he's he's just good at that. And um, the second I think I don't have pride is really when I do, you know. I mean, that's, I don't know about you, but, you know, or when I think someone else does, that's when I'm really in trouble, you know. And um, and so it's, it's really a hidden thing that happens. I'm going to read some, you know, different examples, but I also want us to... Listen to the scriptures really well and apply them to our own lives. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. That's like something I want to tell my kids. And I mean, especially my youngest. But it's, it's a man's pride, this is God's word, will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor, will obtain honor. And I was looking at just some different stories that might have something to do with this. And um, there is one that says that a former heavyweight boxer, James Quick Tillis, so you know he was probably proud that he was quick, but anyway, is a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1900s. I mean, excuse me, 1980s. Gosh, that's how... My daughter thinks of the 1980s, but I was alive back then. I don't know why, too. Um, he still remembers his first day in the Windy City after arriving in Tulsa. I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down, and I looked up at the tower, and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And when I looked down, the suitcases were gone. <laughs> and I thought, that's such a great example. That is so us, how we'll just, you know, win, 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 win somewhere. And then we'll think that, oh, the next thing is going to be win, 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 win. And then we look down and it's like, whoa, what happened here? And so, you know, we need to realize that pride will bring us low. And also, it will... Um, hurt us in the long run, not just because God is punishing us. It's, it's, a, it's a law of sowing and reaping. I mean, it's really what it is. 
and you kind of sow pride and you reap this um, uh, lowering because that's what the Bible keeps saying that happens. Or you sow humility and you reap an uplifting, um, uh, no matter whether it be spiritual or physical or financial or whatever it might be for him. It was his two cardboard suitcases, but he was ready to take on Chicago. And I'm sure at that point he just needed to take on Sears and go underwear shopping or something. But, um, our next one is Proverbs 11 two. And it says, when pride comes, then dishonor, then comes dishonor. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Um, with the humble is wisdom. Wow. And this weekend I took um, our son, our daughter visited colleges and my husband took her and I took our 10-year-old to um, out in the hill country where my parents have had a place for years and years. And no one was out there yet. And there was this red hornet that was going all around the kitchen and everywhere. And he had already set up his whole army set. And he was he has this fear of being stung or hurt previous to it have ever happening to him. He's just a cautious kid. He's always been a cautious kid, which I'm glad about. He's good at sports. He takes risks when it comes to things that he knows he has a little bit of control over. But then when it comes to bugs and stuff like that, he just, so he just, you know, vacated the premises pretty much and kept saying, mom, mom, I'll kill the hornet. And, um, I just thought, you know, I want him to see that, yes, I can, because I tell him all the time, if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone, and I say it all the time, and I just thought, you know, I have really good eye-hand coordination. I think I'll kill the hornet. I want my son to see that. It's just he and I at the house, and it's kind of getting that age where he needs to see that mom is kind of cool, and besides, I have really good hand-eye coordination. So I look for a swatter, can't find a swatter, all I find is a towel, and I kind of wring it up. And I mean, I must have hit this hornet ten times. I stunned it about ten times, but it was never hard enough because I couldn't hit it hard enough because it was on the kitchen window, and and it just would fall down and then get back up. And it poor thing. I mean, I guess I say poor thing. It was trying to get out, so it went to another window, and my parents against this window have these cactuses that they have collected from New Mexico and all over the place. Various different kinds of cactuses. I don't even know how tall they are, but they completely go the length of these two windows. And so he was flying in between the cactuses with barely any pain, uh, window pain for me to get the towel in. But I thought, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to be careful. I've got really good hand and eye coordination. There's no problem with this. And I swatted him like once and stunned him. I swatted him again. Well, then my pride really went up because I'm by this time, Storm's like, Mom, you've killed him like 10 times, but only you haven't. And I'm really wringing this towel and trying to get right in between the cactuses. And there's one, 
you know, I don't even mind the cactuses so much that you can see the little thorns. I just don't like those little hairy ones, you know. Well, I'm going to tell you what. My last swat, I swatted straight and hit the hornet. Oh, yeah, hit the hornet. But I got cactus in four fingers. Storm and I counted. We had to go call my parents and ask them where the tweezers were. And here's my 10-year-old trying to get the little teeny, like, microscopic places. We counted, like, maybe 40, 45 little teeny, teeny, teeny splinters. And I still have at least eight or nine on my index finger and up my index fingernail. And it's kind of grown numb to where I'm thankful about that. But it was God really just opening my eyes because I thought, you know, that really is an example, a small example of pride and not having wisdom. But with the humble is wisdom. Kind of just stay humble and say, you know, I, I maybe I could kill that hornet, but I'm not going to worry about it. And there's so many other things that we can apply that to. But we need to know that with Humility comes wisdom. And that's a cool promise because a lot of times we don't know some of those things. With humility comes wisdom. And um, I wanted to give a more serious example also of this same scripture in Proverbs sixteen eighteen that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even read that yet. Yeah. Um, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. This is our next one. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. This is a lot more serious example. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea. And I remember this on the news. Off the coast of Russia, and hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem like radar malfunction or even thick fog. The cause was human, human stubbornness. Each captain, according to the news reports, could have steered clear and knew of the other ship's presence coming toward him, but neither one wanted to humble himself and move out of the way, move a little bit off course. Hundreds of people killed. Hundreds. And so sometimes pride can have devastating, devastating and destructive things happen in our lives that are a whole lot more than just getting some cactus needles in your fingers. And so that that really spoke to me because I thought, you know, I need to hear that because sometimes we kind of laugh about pride or we think, you know, especially being in, in the Texas area, well, we have pride that everything's big in Texas and Texas pride. And, and it's good to have, to be proud of our country and that kind of thing, but... When we don't take our own personal pride seriously and say, look, I am willing, if I see something coming my way and I think there's going to be a collision, whether it be a relational collision or an emotional collision or whatever, 
I'm, I'm going to be the one that steps aside. I'm going to be the one that steps aside because the fallout doesn't just hurt you or hurt the next person. It might hurt a whole bunch of people. And so, anyway, I, I looked at this quote, and you may recognize it right away, but I think it's so powerful. I, I wish that it was happening today. Um, it came with the National Fasting and Prayer Day in 1863, and it just says, the, the man says, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these things were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own pride. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. Abraham Lincoln on a proclamation of a day of national humiliation. Okay. I can't even... Today's world, I can't imagine a a president. And this is in 1863. It speaks of us today because our hearts still have the same problems without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, without Christ, without renewal in the word. We tend to take credit for things instead of saying, we are so thankful. We just want to put our face in before God and say, thank you. And I thought, even more so, when I read that today, I think we have stepped so much further away from God since 1863. It's, it's not even fathomable. It's incredible. And we need to remember that James 4, 5, and we've talked about this before, but this always speaks so much to me, that God sets himself against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. He gives power. Grace isn't just like, oh, let's say grace and hold hands. It's God's power. It's God's um, favor. It's God's blessing. It's grace. It's a it's a gift. And so if he sets himself against the proud, that's the last thing that I want to be because I have enough problems without having God set himself against me. I mean, and I'm not saying that I have more problems than anybody else, but I'm just saying I have enough challenges, which is something that I've started to answer. People always say, well, how are you doing? And with the, especially the chronic pain stuff that I've had for since I was a little bitty with all the rods and stuff. Um, I used to say, good, how are you? And then they would say, good, and then we'd walk away. And now i am finally started saying, you know, to be honest with you, I'm sufficiently challenged. I'm blessed, but I'm sufficiently challenged. And um, then people will usually stop and take stock and say, you know 
what? I'm blessed, but I'm sufficiently challenged too. <laughs> it's kind of changed into this whole, really? What's going on with you? You know, and I'm able to ask them and find out what's going on in their life. Whereas I would have just gotten the Southern answer of, you know, everything's fine. How are you? We're all fine. Everybody's fine. Everything's great. And then you go home and you're like, well, then what's wrong with our family? You know? So anyway, um, we need God on our side. And the way to do that is to be humble before him, to literally be humble before him. Proverbs 21, 24 says, proud, haughty, and scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. Proverbs 21, 24. I saw this cute story um, from, back from the early, early 90s. But um, it's a story of, of two ducks and a frog who lived very happily with one another. This is a very, um, this is very serious, very important story. So I make sure that you are definitely paying attention. The story is told of two ducks and a frog who lived happily together in a farm pond. The best of friends, the three would amuse themselves and play together in their water hole. When the hot summer days came, however, the, the pond began to dry up, and soon it was evident that they would have to move. This was no problem for the ducks, who could easily fly to another pond, but the frog was stuck. So it decided that they could put a stick in the bill of each of the duck. And the frog decided that he could then hang with his mouth on the stick. This plan worked very well. So well, in fact, that as they were flying along, a farmer looked up in admiration and said, Well, isn't that a clever idea? I wonder who thought of that. And the frog said, I did Before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. Seriously. And this is for all of us. You know, sometimes we can even have pride and not know it in being a Christian. You know, we can say, why don't they choose God? Why don't they choose Jesus? Why Why are they choosing this? And... We can't put ourselves in anyone else's shoes, and we're not even supposed to judge other people's hearts. We're supposed to judge their fruit and their lives so that we'll have wisdom, but not their hearts. And so often I, I even have had God really pull me back, and, and especially if you start looking back in Romans, you know, um, I know I've talked to my daughter about this because she was going through the phase of, okay, are we... Uh, is God chosen us or did we choose him? And I'm, I'm, I mean, all I can say is yes, because I think so often people have tried to completely answer that question and they may, I mean, I'm going to get to heaven and find out I'm wrong on many accounts, but, um, Jesus will not be one of them. I know that for a fact. So anything else in the Bible, you know, that you want to argue about, go argue with somebody else because it's not going to be me. But the reason I say yes to both is you get in the book of Romans and it looks like God just chose us. 
and we didn't have anything to do with it. And then you look over in other scriptures and it says, you know, that God desires that, that none, that none would, um, that all would be saved and that no one, none would fall short of the glory of God. Although all of us have, that says that in Romans 3.23, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But he said he sent his son in the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so it's one of those great things that God is God and I don't have to answer. And I can just say God only knows that exact answer but with God you don't have to have a yes or a no sometimes sometimes the answer is just yes and yes God chose us we chose God she said but didn't he know what we're going to do before he created us and I said well if he chose to know and she was like well how could he choose to not know if he already knows everything and I said I don't know how God chooses to know or not know I mean I know he does choose to not remember things because it says three times in the Bible that if we ask for his forgiveness He says, I will remember your sins no more. So you look at it from the flip side, and it's quite interesting. But did did we choose God, really? It says that none is good. None, the Bible says, is is out there and and searching for God and and really just coming to the Father. Um, sometimes we get that idea of, well, I just feel like I've, I've been on my knees since I was a young child and I just always had that heart for God. Well, you know what? If you did, then God created that heart. And if you've had a difficult circumstance that's brought you to God, then I praise God for the difficult circumstance, but it doesn't mean God did create the difficult circumstance. So we can't make it into a theory But we do know that all of us need to not have pride in the fact that that we've chosen Christ or that he's chosen us. But really have humility in that and approach other people with humility. And approach especially other people that might believe very differently than, than we do. That we cannot even relate to or imagine relating to. We all of a sudden can relate to them if we approach them in humility. And there by the grace of God go I. And that's really, if I was someone on the outside looking in with Christians, I I would be really turned off from a group that was prideful. And we're right and you're wrong and, you know. But a group that was humble and joyful and peaceful and sure, you know, because really faith is just being sure. That's what would really make me be attracted to that. And I would be inquisitive of that. Where, why are you so peaceful? Why are you so humble? Why are you so at rest when um, all of these things are happening in your life or whatever it might be? That's what would attract other people. And that's what God wants us to be. The most humble man on the face of the earth was Jesus. He sat and ate with sinners. He talked to people that no one else would talk to. He touched lepers. He healed them. He, they were the untouchables, according to the Mosaic law even. 
And I love that he did that without one consideration of, you know, I really, if I hang out with them, I don't really want like the whole temple thinking that I'm like falling into this kind of stuff, you know, if I hang out with this harlot. And so I'm going to just ignore her and keep going down the road and make sure that I at least please, you know, the Levites today. He didn't do that. Can you imagine being Jesus' PR man? You would be in a ruckus every day. You would be in a ruckus saying, Oh my gosh, everyone loved you and now they're so mad at you because you just messed up the whole temple or you're hanging out with so-and-so and they saw you and don't hang out with them. You're supposed to be king of the earth. What are you doing? You know, and Jesus didn't have a PR person. He had his disciples even try to take care of him at times. And he would say, you know what? If it wasn't according to God's will, he even looked at one of his disciples and who suggested simply that they go and live on a mountain that was a very peaceful place and get away from all the craziness of the world. But it wasn't God's plan. And so he looked at that disciple and said, get behind me, Satan. Not to that disciple, but because that would have been a temptation to him as a man. Of course it would. And so it's interesting how Jesus himself was so humble and was led by God. Spurgeon put it this way, and I do, I do love this. Not, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. I think we need to hear that again. Spurgeon said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. And society really does teach us to be proud of the things that we've accomplished and the things that maybe we've even, um, even if we do say, well, we know it's through God or I know it's through God, but we can't even accomplish anything but through God. Um, one of the things I realized, having had a respirator when I stopped breathing after that reconstructive back surgery years ago, or it wasn't that long ago, but maybe four years ago or something like that, um, uh, it was a 13-hour reconstructive surgery, and five days after this huge back surgery where they, they went in the, my back and, and all the way through the spinal cord and then also through past all the organs and cut through my tummy to get to the spinal cord and just did a major, um, I mean, I have so much metal, I could probably set off the airport right now if I wanted to. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That was a real prideful remark, wasn't it? Anyway, um, but one thing I realized in saying all this is, yeah, it was horrible, horrible pain. There were a lot of things that 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 can go with this story. But um, one of the things that happened is since I had had leukemia, I don't know, this is a kind of a questionable thing in our minds, but the, the doctor on call um, who was not my surgeon who knew I had had leukemia and had therefore had lots and lots of blood transfusions, looked at my blood um, 
and looked at its levels, which if you've had leukemia and you've had blood transfusions and you've had chemo, your levels don't ever look again like the normal levels. You don't have the same number of platelets. You may not have the same number of white blood cells. You, they always look, so he thought I was deficient in blood and gave me eight blood transfusions. Um, of course, I'm flat on my back and that's a no-no. Um, I'm not sure whether they gave me steroids so I'd receive the blood or not. But at that point, my body had already produced antibodies against the blood. And so what was happening is my lungs were filling up with fluid. And I know some of you know the story, but my dad, um, who's hilarious as it is, but I'm so glad he is who he is because he has saved my life on more than one occasion. Um, just don't say that I said that because then he might get kind of prideful. And then, you know what I'm saying? He might... Well, anyway, um, and don't we do that? We go from pride to like kicking ourselves. You know, I read a quote just looking at all this pride stuff about how God was so smart, how he didn't make it easily to where we could physically kick ourselves nor pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> of course, I'm thinking I'm hypermobile and I can pat myself on the back. And then immediately I was like, well, I'm not really proud of that, you know, um, just because I physically can, that's not usually my my mode of operandi. I'm more likely to kick myself, but um, less likely now because God forgives me and I just forgive me too. And it's kind of a sweet deal. Yeah, no waiting, no time out, just pretty sweet. So my dad saw that I was less able and less able and less able to breathe and I couldn't talk. And he was looking at the heart monitor and he was seeing that the doctor at this small, more of a boutique sized hospital was not responding um, to do anything of action. Um, they gave me oxygen, but at this point, we didn't know what was happening. Nobody took me for a chest x-ray. Um, and so he said, that's it. And he called 911 from the hospital Okay, and he's mad as as a as a right. hornet, but mad in a good way, like a Jesus turning over the tables in the temple way, you know. And he's like, you know, my my little girl can't breathe. She can't. I mean, I putting a little bit of oxygen that's not helping. Look, the numbers aren't going up. I mean, I'm not an idiot. You know, this isn't helping. And so he called nine one one. You get anybody. You know, so we got these young EMS, um, actually they were firemen, sorry, young firemen that were, wherever they were, they responded to the, the closest and happened to be um, a hospital across the street. And so we went, uh, and you're rushed to the closest hospital. And this hospital's across the street. We, we are on the south side, so this is a hospital that's, you know, famous for all the gang shootings and everything. I'm rushed to this hospital across the street. But one of the things that I felt so humbled about is I was in and out of of um, what you would call a coma, whether it was initially induced by lack of oxygen and then continually induced with pain stuff or whatever. But I had a respirator down my throat for five days. And 
your, they tied my hands down because your, your inclination is, I want to breathe on my own. You know, I don't, I mean, it's number one, not very comfortable to say the least, but number two, that's our natural inclination. Do you know, I mean, just a few minutes without oxygen, just a few minutes without oxygen. I mean, that in and of itself is humbling. That, that I wake up in the morning, how many things does it take for our bodies to be going? I mean, and don't, we don't tell, okay, body, today I want you to breathe and I want the heart, don't forget to beat. And um, I want to make sure, you know, that you work liver. And we, we don't know to do that. It just happens automatically. And we need to have not even pride in our own health because... Sometimes we can do that as well. Well, I'm healthy because I've taken care of myself versus somebody else is not healthy because they haven't. Well, how do you know? I know a lot of really people who struggle health-wise that have done the best they can. And so we can't even have pride in our own health. And, and, and it was humbling to me to realize that I didn't even have control of my own breathing. I mean, nothing. And that was only part of a larger story. But that humbled me. Because at least after every other thing I've been through, I breathed on my own. (laughs) Not this time. And it was very, very humbling. And so, I mean, that's the kind of humility that we need to have before God. And that's the kind of desire that I want to have and I hope you want to have for humility is, God, I want it as much as my next breath. I want humility. Why? Because Jesus had it. Why? Because then I can have wisdom. Why? Because then you can actually bless me instead of having to hold me down or being set against me. I want humility. Let me know. Alarm me. Alert me. You know, let me know when I'm going down the wrong path. And it happens so fast, especially when we've quit something. Have you ever done that? When you quit something, then everybody else who does do that thing, then they are horrible people. I mean, it can be that you quit salt. And then you see someone oversalt their food, and it's like, well, okay, you have no idea how much sodium you're putting in your body. And we feel so good about ourselves because we quit salt. Not, I mean, not to mention that, you know, our doctor told us we had to, but we, you know, we, it's amazing. Some people quit caffeine and they will be on everybody else around them to quit caffeine. I mean, I, I it, it, it's, it's amazing what we do. Sugar. I'm going to go on a low sugar diet. Now, do you realize how much sugar that donut has in it right there? And we love to pick on our spouses. For some reason, they became the targets of our lives. And um, I know we've laughed about this, and many of you have been married much longer than I, but um, after 23 years, you would think it would dawn on me, I'm not changing this man. I'm, I, it's, I'm, I'm not changing him at all. And so even the things that he does that I've talked to him about, I've, I have in all just honesty poured my heart out to him, um, I've tried like the, the whole, um, don't talk to him about it. Um, the whole kind of 
punishment kind of, you know, now I'll do to you what you have done to me. I love to do that. That used to be kind of funny because that didn't work either. Because he'd be like, oh, I don't do that to you. And I'm like, what? Oh, my gosh. And then it's just the two of you, so you can't prove anything. And then pride is totally come into the picture. And then, I t- like, I, like we were talking about last time, you start in this huge, long bunny trail, and then both of you look at each other, especially as you get older, and say, what were we, talk- what were we fighting about? I can't remember. But... Um, so we went out to, to dinner last night with some um, family members at La Fonda, and Lacey has progressively, as he's gotten um, older, and he's not you know that old, he's almost 50, but I'm just saying, as we get older, we tend to have our eccentricities, not that the Holy Spirit can't change them, I still hold out hope and prayer for the man. You have to understand, I don't need any changing, but um, I'm still believing the Holy Spirit for this man. Um, But he can't listen to a conversation or even appear. There's something that's off in his chemical balances in that if, if someone is talking across the table, five people down... And they're not even talking to him. And I say something like, please pass the salt and pepper. He'll say, just a minute, Kathleen. <laughs> okay, so five people in the family have heard, just a minute, Kathleen. <laughs> and my, you know, my inclination is, I want to do that to him. So when he says something, and women, we know everything going on, okay? Because first of all, we hear every conversation. We may not be a part of every conversation, but we know what everyone is talking about around us. Because God gave us that ability with children. Um, and so we know all these different conversations. And I want to sometimes just do the same thing. Well, it doesn't work. So lots of times, humility is just coming at a relationship, a marriage, and not saying, I'm going to do to you the way you do to me, but I'm going to just, I'm going to be, I'm going to choose to think that that is funny. And so I started laughing and he said, why are you laughing? I was like, Shh, just a minute, you know, and <laughs> I was teasing with him and he was just like, oh, you know, so then he started laughing and, but, um, I, I now find the things that used to just rub me the wrong way comical because I've realized there are some things about others and even ourselves that apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't change. We're not perfect. And so if you've got a best friend and she does something or you've got a sister <clears throat> or a brother or a family member, it's almost Thanksgiving and they do something that drives you crazy, don't keep saying that it drives you nuts because then it will. Just say, you know what, there's stuff about me that I'm sure drives other people crazy, and I'm so in mercy here because I want to reap mercy, you know? I'm going to keep my mouth shut because the next time I do something really stupid, I want other people to keep their mouth shut. And there are things that I do that I know drive Lacey Witten crazy, and I can't help it. I can't help it because my mother did them. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But it's just certain things, certain things. That, um, and and I'm, 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 it's nothing sinful 
or at least not in my eyes because I do it. But um, that's pride too. But um, but just for us to be more um, easygoing with other people and start considering that okay, if this situation or this what this person does, if we can't think of it as comical, at least we can think of it as maybe feeling. Uh, badly for them and praying for them as they are in this situation. Um, there needs to be that humility in our lives. Otherwise, what happens, honestly, is the Holy Spirit will show you something in someone that is not quite good, and He's asking you, please pray for this person. And instead, we judge that person. We might even tell someone else what we know. I mean, can can you imagine the heart of the father looking down, and that is his child. And the other child, instead of praying for that person, is spreading rumors. You think the Holy Spirit's going to trust you with more? The Bible says to whom much is given, much is expected, but it also works the other way. And the more that that God can trust us with and the more he shows us. And it's interesting how people say sometimes, well, I wish God would speak to me or whatever. And, you know, maybe it's because when he speaks to you, you speak to other people and you don't speak back to him, you know? And I'm not ta- I'm not saying that about anybody in this room or anybody listening to this. I'm just saying a lot of times we are alerted to things so that we will pray. And so that we will go to our Father on behalf of that person. Um, lots of times people do things out of a root of fear anyway. And so sometimes I have to say, God, and I don't always do it right every time, but sometimes I have to say, God, you know, so-and-so is hysterical about such-and-such, which to me is nothing. And, you know, so-and-so is hysterical about this. And they're upset and worked up. And we, we all, you know, that's just an example. And, but what is the root behind all that? What can I pray for for them? Well, fear. Fear. And can I have um, pride that I don't have that fear? Not really, because I have other fears that, you know that God is taking care of because he doesn't want us to have a spirit of fear anyway. I read in Psalms, David was such a man after God's own heart. And as, as most of you know, he really, he was, he was a man after God's own heart and spoken that way from God, of God, by God, even after he sinned so much. But one thing that David did is he, humbled himself before the Lord over and over and over and over again, even after he did horrendous sins. And he wrote Psalm 16, and I I think it's a beautiful psalm, but it also has kind of become my prayer to where I could almost highlight every single verse. That's how much it means to me. I could almost memorize Every line, it's like I want to stay. I know I only have a few minutes, but I would love to like teach this for the next hour because it is so, so, so powerful. But it just says, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Can we say that? I mean, that's humility. For the saints who are in the land, they are glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will pour out their libations of blood and take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And surely I have a delightful inheritance. That's also humility. That's gratefulness. That's not when we drive by somebody else's house and say, well, they sure got it lucky. They were born into the such and such. And that's not when we look at someone else that doesn't have physical pain and say, well, I wish I had that body that doesn't hurt. It's saying, God, you you drew for me the boundaries and in, in, in my inheritance and you assigned me my portion in my cup. You knew what I was going to be given. And not that God gives evil things. I'm not saying that. But we're in a fallen world. And he knows the things you have to handle. And it was wonderful for David to be able to say, even though David certainly didn't have a perfect life, I mean... Not only that, I mean, was Saul chasing him all over the place? I mean, who would want that? I think that went on for three or four years. Somebody trying to kill you. Um, But he says, you know, you've assigned this to me, and I thank you. He's not looking at anybody else's inheritance, in other words. He's not looking at anybody else, their portion and their cup. And he says, you've made my lot secure. And I think the reason he can feel that way and really know that way is because of Psalm 16.1, what we first read, is because David said, in you I take refuge. He's not saying, in my bank account I take refuge, or in my own wisdom I take refuge, or in having many friends I take refuge, or in having the best job I take refuge, or in having life insurance I take refuge. He's not saying any of those things. He's saying, in you and you only I take refuge. Therefore, I don't think it would have even mattered to David if he'd had a perfect life or not. He would still say, you've assigned me my portions and my inheritance. And so anyway, it, I, love the, I love Psalm 16, 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at, the night, even at night, my heart instructs me. Um, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest secure. All of the above are the reason that his body is resting secure. It's not resting secure because he's not sleeping good in the cave because Saul's not chasing him going back to those incidences, but it's like his body is resting secure and he's able to go go to sleep, not because of where he is, not because of who he is, and not because of what's happening with him, and not because of what he might or might not have on his mind, but because he has decided to rest in God and say, you are my dwelling place. You're it. You know? 
And it says in Psalm 1610, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And I just, I couldn't help but think to myself that saying, don't forget whose you are. You can forget who you are, just don't forget whose you are. That's the most important thing. And where do you take refuge? Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive.